This is MJ Munoz. You are listening to Story Over Everything, the chronicles of an author, artist, and analyzer. The date is September 30th, 2022. I'm going to talk about a little, well, here's a tease for a little story idea I'm going to be working on live with you here and now. And uh, this is how it goes. What if there were guardian angels in the form of magical talking bugs sent out from heaven to help kids? Alright, so my first segment is going to be work in progress. And I want to talk to you about what is the status of my current projects, progress made, length of time on the back burner, that sort of thing. So... It's a very personal, or it's a very busy time for me in my personal life, so I have not actively worked on uh, most of my projects uh, that I have going. I have on the back burner, uh, I have an artist who's supposed to be working on my breastfeeding book. It's a informative, educational, sweet, cute, pretty uh, <laughs> breastfeeding book to help uh, older siblings, I guess firstborns or, or otherwise, who are going to be having a nursling in the house soon. Uh, to understand why their baby sibling is going to be drinking milk from their mother and what all the benefits of breastfeeding are and why a mother might choose to breastfeed her child um, because of all the the good things about it. There's good, there's bad, there's funny, there's silly. There's a whole gamut of things. Um, But it is framed in a very positive way to to make it normal, to encourage it, to make it a, uh, to show it to be a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, beautiful, but also silly and fun at sometimes. Uh, so my artist, uh, who I have contracted to work on that or not contracted per se, but who's uh, set to work on that, uh, hasn't done anything on it. And that's mostly my fault. I'm supposed to give thumbnail sketches for that. Uh, speaking of which, um, the idea I brought up about these guardian angel bugs is actually something that I have scripts on, uh, and I'm kind of cheating with this uh, segment I'm going to do at the end, which is where I live write things. And um, I actually have segment or uh, five books planned, and I guess I'll talk about that more when I get to it. But the first one, uh, I'm supposed to also be getting thumbnails and descriptions to an artist, so because I have the first two scripts for those books finished actually so I need to uh, to work on that and as far as stuff on the back burner uh, the superhero pulp novels are all on the back burner uh, I do have a rough outline of 12 books for one character I don't know that I want to do 12 books for every character if I just want to do 12 books for the flagship character in each era or if I need to plan them out and then execute based on how well they're received uh, so I'm not 100% sure about that but that's an idea and then I actually have a, another uh, children's picture book series uh, so the the breastfeeding one is a single book one and done uh, the other one um, which is the uh, the bugs the guardian <laughs> guardian angel bugs uh, that's a, a series of five books that I have planned and then the other uh, one it's a fantasy story with a dragon in it and I have uh, I have plans to do maybe four books for that or I could do more I could start with four and then have that be like kind of wave one and then uh, I don't know if the stories will grow up with the kids or just be you know geared towards different kids after that or what whatever but um, that's something on the back burner as well so uh, there's also kind of a tie-in fun uh, anthology style superhero book um, all of the uh, like goodnight Darth Vader type thing where you get to see all these different characters from the Star Wars universe of course I'd be doing a book about superhero characters that I've invented and that I've created so you know children wouldn't know them but I figure if it's 
constructed cleverly enough, it should work. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, <laughs> of a world where you're introduced to many characters from many different um, worlds, so to speak, at one time. Uh, Incredibles comes to mind. Maybe stuff from... Uh, oh dear, what's that one called? Wreck-It Ralph, where you have all those other video game characters. Although there's a lot of nostalgic uh, characters, there's also the use of some uh, brand new characters of, you know franchises in that world but also it's odd my kids have been watching Toy Story recently and like you know Buzz Lightyear and Woody are new um you know Mr. Min Mrs. Potato Head the Etch-a-Sketch um those are extant toys I don't know about like Slinky Dog or you know Piggy Bank is just a kind of generic thing and a dinosaur toy so I, I don't know I, I figure as long as the the cast is charming and the materials handled cleverly you can kind of make a thing or an ensemble out of any out of anything and uh do I dare to do that myself yes I do dare I do dare, and I, I hope that with my daring do, that I will be successful. So, anyway, that's uh, that's it for the work in progress. Uh, what about completed works? Well, I'm an author, an artist, and an analyzer, and uh, I've accomplished three analyses this week, and uh, they were for uh, tokusatsu, two tokusatsu shows directly, and a tokusatsu-inspired anime. Tokusatsu is live-action Japanese special effects shows. Uh, the word tokusatsu literally means... Uh, special effects in Japanese, and uh, mostly it's, uh, you know, men in uh, rubber costumes fighting other men in rubber costumes, and that's what it's about. There's, you know, Power Rangers comes from Super Sentai, uh, Power Rangers comes from, or Super Sentai comes from Kamen Rider, Kamen Rider comes from Ultraman, so to speak, in a way, and uh, Ultraman comes from Godzilla, and uh, really, really, I guess you could say the tokusatsu genre comes from stuff like Godzilla. I don't think Godzilla was absolutely the first, but it's uh, one of the biggest, most impactful, and I guess one of the best. It's a, it's a tokusatsu exemplar, so it doesn't always have to be giant monsters, but it is definitely, uh, you know, if you think about Godzilla rampaging through a city, uh, he's knocking things, you know, first of all, they had to make him look giant, so they built sets in such a way to use force perspective, and they had to create the monster suit uh, to look a certain way, so that's where the rubber suit stuff comes in, and then when he's knocking over electrical wires and, you know, smashing tanks and things like that, and, you know, they had to have miniature-sized uh, tanks uh, scaled to this, you know, this gentleman who was in the suit uh, in order to make it look like real uh, ships flying, you know, flying planes with, with guns on them were attacking him and real tanks on the ground were attacking him. And then, you know, for his counterattack, they had to show all those things. So they did that by, you know, creating miniature sets and, uh, doing, using different types of props and, uh, having them destroyed with explosions or getting knocked or flipped over, different things like that. So, um, anyway, that's the, uh, like I said, the best example of tokusatsu, and even if you're not, uh, <laughs> even if your tastes aren't as eccentric as mine, you could say, you've probably seen Godzilla and know what that is, and, you know, at minimum, uh, you're aware of the modern Godzilla movies, or, like, the King Kong movies, which I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna, uh, accuse them of being, like, inspired by Godzilla, in fact, Godzilla might have been inspired to some extent by, uh, King Kong, I, I don't know the history there, and I haven't looked it up, and I'm not going to right now, because it's not relevant, but anyway, that's the stuff I'm into, uh, and, uh, all three shows that I watched and analyzed this week are in that realm. So all three of them do come from Japan. Uh, two of them were actually all three of them were subtitled. Unfortunately, the anime did not get a dub, which disappoints me because I'm a fan of dubs. But anyway, I did analysis of those three shows. One of them is 30 out of uh, 50 or so episodes in. The other one is four out of 50 or so episodes in, and uh, the uh, anime is 
nine out of, I think, 12 episodes in. So in three more weeks, I'll be done with that. But then a new uh, tokusatsu show will be starting up, uh, which is actually inspired by one of my favorite uh, entries in the Kamen Rider series. Uh, it's called Kamen Rider Black Sun. It's based off of Kamen Rider Black. But anyway, I analyzed those. And, you know, why am I wasting my time uh, doing that, maybe? You might want to ask if I'm a writer and I'm supposed to be writing these other things. Well, the things that I'm writing are very much steeped in and based on tokusatsu, very inspired by tokusatsu. So uh, I'm keeping current with tokusatsu. I do plan for my uh, stories to be timeless. Uh, and I do think the, the theme of that Godzilla movie, the original Godzilla, is timeless, which is why I'm using it uh, as the basis for the first uh, children's picture book in the tokusatsu series, you could say. And... Um, or that's the one with the magical talking bugs, uh, which there's a magical talking bug in one of the Kamen Rider movies, so you know it all ties together. But regardless, uh, you know I'm watching them because I honestly find that the Kamen Rider and Super Sentai series and uh, the anime as well, because it is based off Kamen Rider, has uh, compelling writing. There are things to learn in them, uh, and I think that's something I want to uh, talk about real quick. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I have a segment called Lessons Learned, and it's where I tell you what lessons I learned from uh, the world of story this week. And, uh, you know, like I said, the world of story uh, that I've been involved with is these three shows. So uh, one of them, I'll start with the Futo P.I., which is the, the anime. Uh, it's a sequel to the uh, completed uh, live-action series of Common Rider Double. Futo P.I. Episode 9 is the end of a three-episode arc that has a... It's a bottle episode murder mystery where basically these two heroes are stuck at a cabin in the mountains because there's a blizzard, and the reason there's a murder mystery aspect to it is because uh, these four women who are contestants in a competition to marry a wealthy man whose family seems to have ties to crime... Uh, whether that be Yakuza or some other criminal enterprise, uh, they are dying. So, um, over the course of three episodes, I believe two of the women die, and I think a third individual dies related to it, but it's not one of the women contestants, because at the end there are two female contestants who are left. Um, I believe that's correct. Not that you care, and not that it really matters, because I'm just kind of giving you the rough context. It's basically, uh, it's a detective story, the, the two gentlemen who are uh, stuck up in the mountains and who stumble into this murder mystery are detectives who also happen to be a superhero uh, called Common Rider Double, and they're actually uh, able to transform by both of them. <laughs> one of them, his mind goes into the body of the other one, and the two brains in one body uh, that has two halves that they each control uh, fight together, and, and they you know, come up with clever ways to do things because they're both, uh, you know, they both have good intuition and intelligence because they're a detective and a, basically a genius who has access to uh, a wide uh, variety of information. Um, I honestly, uh, that, uh, this ninth episode was uh, a downgrade from the others recently. I'll put it this way, the first six episodes of the series uh, were really solid and uh, the seventh was okay, the eighth was not so great, and the ninth was probably the worst so far, or maybe maybe it was the eighth that was the worst so far, but I think the issue for me was that these ones, uh, or you know, this story being told in three parts, 
which it's an adaptation from a manga, so the idea with manga to some extent is it's kind of like the old serialized stories like uh, Swiss Family Robinson, for example. Uh, they're meant to keep you coming back. You just you read a little bit of it in a, uh, a, cir um, a circular, uh, in a periodical that's circulated in whatever fashion, and they're published weekly or however, you know, whatever rate, and uh, then they're collected into a single story. But the idea is they want to keep you interested in it forever, and they want to keep the mystery running forever. So there's a ongoing mystery that the characters, the detectives, have stumbled upon, and uh, it's sort of getting dragged out. There was some revelations that they had, but I, I think the biggest takeaway for me from Fujo PI9 is that sometimes you can, <laughs> you know, it's okay to play fast and loose with your rules because they're very serious about doing like a debriefing after each mystery and each case is closed where they go over the details and show logically how, even though there are fantastical elements in the world, how these things could have all happened in a reasonable, logical way. And I found that to be distracting and distasteful and I think maybe the lesson to take from that is you need to be careful not to be a slave to your format if you're trying to be a pastiche of another genre because that can be wearing and trying. Like you, you want to capture certain elements, but maybe you don't need to close with a debrief every three episodes and have all the facts of the case uh, gone over because you know maybe your audience is smart enough to know, or maybe the rest of the like the narrative, uh, I guess velocity or momentum is enough so that people can be entertained by that and not need to go over the facts. And as long as you, as the author, know the facts, maybe you don't need to belabor uh, belabor them and go over them uh, sort of needlessly to the uh, to the, your audience. Maybe that's something I learned from that. Uh, next, I'll talk about uh, Common Rider Keats Episode 4. Uh, so, I think the most important thing that I learned from this, and I, it's basically people are in a, a, a game, a a survival game where they're all competing to win and whoever wins will have their uh, desire granted at the end of it or the, uh, you know one wish granted and it's it's world changing the stakes are super high uh, but the players their lives are on the line and they die as supposedly they die as the rounds continue and as players are eliminated they're literally killed and I believe the game started off with like 50 people and this is a children's show in Japan uh, I don't think I'd ever want to craft a show like that uh, with those sorts of stakes or a story with those kinds of stakes for kids because that's just too dark, that's unnecessary. Uh, Japan has a different culture and uh, despite the fact that these are aimed at younger kids, uh, it just it's culturally acceptable to them, I guess. Uh, although I don't know, I haven't heard of any flack that they're catching from having this be the idea of the story, but not something I would want to do. So that, maybe that's one lesson I learned. Uh, but I also learned you can kind of get away with it, but that's not what I mean. I'm not interested in pushing the boundaries of what you can, uh, you know, <laughs> what you can get children to learn. Um, yeah, I'm not interested in pushing boundaries like that. Uh, anyway, but more importantly, what I learned from this episode was that you have the, the hero of the piece. Uh, he goes by Ace. He is, he seems to be stuck in this game, and I, I suspect that he's trying to be a true hero and pull out a victory and like kind of destroy the sick game from uh, within by, I don't know, winning enough times or creating, getting enough power for himself. I'm not sure what, but he definitely seems to be upset about this game, but you have to play to win. If you don't play to win, you die. And then if you die, you have no opportunity to change anything. And to counter that uh, concept or to really bring it into sharp relief, uh, there's a character who was, who suffered a tragedy. And because of 
having suffered that tragedy, became nihilistic to the point where they want all humans to die, and they see this game where they can have any wish granted as an opportunity to wipe out all human life on the planet. Now, this character becomes seriously debilitated or, or injured, and their efforts become hampered, and instead of fighting to win to the very end, they try to sabotage and uh, use subterfuge to bring everybody else down with them, and in the end, they only accomplish their own death. Uh, he accomplishes nothing, uh, and then he leaves the game and, and this world with nasty words for the other characters that the rest of them are going to die and only one of them will survive, and he seems like he feels justified in that. Now, the writer of the show has done very solid character work, so one, I suspect that it's not actually a real death game. Like, I, I don't think these people are actually dying. I think there's they're being put in suspension somehow and they will never be used for this game again. Uh, but the other thing is, I, or, and partly because I suspect this character will come back and will have more to say in the in the end. But um, uh, before, well, basically uh, the main character who says you have to you know fight to win and who's been willing to trick people uh, in order to win and to get an advantage so that he can stay on top, uh, even though he's moral, he he is shown uh, to help people, um, which I won't go into that. Uh, he has a morality, but he also has a desire to win above all else because I guess because the six are so high and there's a something in there about the ends justifying the means which I'm uncomfortable with that idea I think that um, you have to be moral you have to be upright in what you do and that you can't you know do evil for the sake of good necessarily and that actually uh, well I won't get into that side tangent but he basically gives a speech towards the end and throughout the episode it's kind of peppered this idea that you have to keep fighting. You have to keep trying. You can't give up because if you give up and you're not fully committed to the point where you're willing to sacrifice yourself to see your goals met, that your dreams and your wishes can never become reality. So that's a corny idea. It, that could be a corny idea, but it's not believe in yourself. It's if you want something, you have to work for it. And I like how the moral was put across because nobody ever felt sanctimonious. And I won't go into all the details, but um, I guess there's a clever way that you can write uh, like clear morals that are you know simple I guess you could say uh, that you might find in like a you know Aesop fable or something like that you can write these clear uh, very upright morals into something that has like a uh, a moral grayness to it or has characters who are acting in uh, less than wonderful ways and I think that's interesting uh, really what that inspires me to do though is to think of how can I frame and shape the narrative or the message or the themes in my stories in order to give positive, healthy, uplifting messages without coming out and doing a, uh, you know, a look right at the camera, so to speak, speech that's, you know, cheesy and supposedly inspiring, but perhaps uninspiring instead, because that's something I would like to avoid as a writer. Uh, and then last, uh, last, there's a T at the end of that word, last, uh, the Super Sentai entry uh, was Don Brothers 30, and I don't know. The writer of it is a prolific writer in the genre. He's been hired again and again and again by the same company over the course of, I think, 30 years, and there may be some nepotism in it because his father actually wrote for the original Kamen Rider, which I said earlier, Kamen Rider gave birth to 
Super Sentai, or, or the success of Kamen Rider led to the development of Super Sentai, and he started working on Super Sentai, I believe in the mid-80s, and he's worked on and off of it for a long time, and then he actually, I was wondering a while back where he went, because I hadn't seen him being active, but he seems to be, or he came back for the Super Sentai, he was also writing a manga adaptation, which is a Japanese comic book adaptation, of the... Uh, comeback series of Common Rider from the year 2000. So apparently he's been busy with that. Apparently it's been ongoing for like six years, I think is what it is. And that's pretty impressive to me. But anyway, uh, regardless, he is a talented writer. Uh, I really like one of his other shows. Uh, I think I've seen two of his shows besides this one that I'm currently watching. And there's something about his writing that I just feel is, I don't know, utterly competent. Uh, very charming. He, he creates characters who you shouldn't like and then you like them and uh, he has his characters doing things that you might find reprehensible and yet there is uh, they're charming enough that you don't mind. Um, it, it's very odd. He, he's a very skilled writer. Uh, he does certain weird things and he almost seems to like purposely antagonize the audience or maybe the uh, the bosses around him uh, by some of the things that he does and yet he continues to have success as a writer and I don't know uh, I don't quite know what it is there's something about him like flaunting and bending rules or conventions maybe uh, kind of to be subversive but in a very I don't know in a very pleasing way uh, where it feels fresh and exciting and not like a betrayal of the very thing that it is like none of his uh, stuff in this Super Sentai show feels not like Super Sentai or like it goes against the spirit of Super Sentai but it definitely feels offbeat and weird and like I said fresh and bold so I don't know really how to define that other than uh, once you've become a skilled enough writer you can uh, really play in your genre of choice and uh, be successful by like uh, you know subverting things or, or, or handling things in a very interesting unexpected way and I'm, I'm not sure what else to say. But his name is Toshiki, uh, Toshiki Inoue. And uh, like I said, I think he's, uh, he's one of the best uh, writers that I've ever encountered. Even though I've only... Well, these shows are 50 episodes long. So I've seen uh, for sure one show to completion. And then 30 episodes of this show, which he's written almost all of them. But I'm, I'm confident that I've seen at least one other of his shows uh, all the way through. So... I'm not quite sure. But anyway, uh, that's that's pretty interesting to me. So that's my lessons learned. And then this last segment, segment that like I teased earlier, Fabula Ex Machina is what I'm calling it. Um, I am going to be sort of brainstorming and drafting out loud uh, how I can make this uh, insect guardian angel or bug, because it's it's not just insects particularly. If we'll, let's be pedantic about it for a moment. An insect is a six-legged creature. Uh, arachnids, like spiders and scorpions, don't fit into that, uh, I don't know, that class, that phylum, that kingdom, or whatever. Um, they're similar, so I'm going to generically call them bugs. So that will be your, insect, or your insects of various uh, kinds, like a beetle, uh, for example, a worm, whether that be a grub or like an earthworm, which grubs typically turn into insects. Um, if I don't know if a worm is not a bug or not, if it's, or I don't know if a worm is not an insect or, or, or what by the scientific classification, but that's what I mean when I say bug. So I've got a spider, uh, guardian angel bug. I have, um, I think a moth I'm going to use 
uh, moth, spider, beetle, and I can't remember the others at the moment off the top of my head. Uh, but that's not uh, really important right now. Uh, what's important is that I'm, I'm letting you know, I'm, I'm, I am cheating a little bit. This is my own thing, so I can do whatever I want, however I want. But basically, uh, the idea that I'm going to be working on for five to ten minutes, because I don't want to be too... I don't want to bore you too much uh, by uh, getting into the nitty-gritty details of something that I don't quite—I uh, don't quite have hammered down. So it could be uninteresting to hear me stumble and fumble. Although it could be entertaining. I—I I, I don't know. But um, basically, I'm going to be jumping into this and saying, "All right, so here's my idea: angel, bug, gar- or bug guardian angels, uh, inspired by Godzilla and other Japanese tokusatsu type stuff." Uh, like the things I've been describing to you. How will that work? How can I make that a children's picture book series? And uh, how will I make all of that fit into a single world? So, again, if you want to leave because I'm going to be going off in crazy directions, that's fine, I understand. But if you want to stick around for the ride, then I welcome you to do so. All right, so you uh, you may or may not know this, but I did step away from the recording. I ended up making some notes. This is supposed to be a very light duty type of show, even though I noticed it's already almost a half an hour long, which I did not expect. I thought it'd be something like 10 minutes, but we'll see if following weeks, uh, I have a lot less to say, or there's a lot less to talk about, or maybe I'll just get better at it and become more succinct and I can, uh, kill my darlings and cut those, cut, cut, cut those words away until there's just left what you want to hear and what you need to hear and what I need to say. So anyway, moving on from that, uh, I wanted to share that, uh, I have, um, uh, I'm not going to re-explain the whole tokusatsu thing, because that's Godzilla, Ultraman, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Power Rangers, uh, I don't know what other stuff, off the top of my head, but that kind of stuff. Kikaider, if you're from Hawaii, and you're like 50 years old, you might know Kikaider. <laughs> you could be, you can know Kikaider if you're a little younger too, but that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, but here's my prompt. Um, well, and, and, well, yeah, so... I guess this is what I'm trying to do. How can I weave a universe out of these disparate elements? And it's all these different things because Toho, which is one company, owns Godzilla and they make Godzilla. Uh, Toei, which is, I don't know why they're both T, they start with the T sound, but whatever, uh, owns Kamen Rider uh, and Super Sentai. And Tsuburaya, which also starts with the T, which is kind of funny, or a TS, I don't know if it's its own unique character or whatever in, in Japanese or Chinese that has the TS sound to it. And I know it's from Japan, but uh, Japan, they use like three different writing systems or writing styles or letters. So they have like Chinese characters uh, and then they have uh, two different ones that there's like a sound for each letter. I think more analogous to uh, the 26 letter alphabet we have in English speaking countries. Anyway, I don't know all the details, but there's katakana, hiragana, and some other thing I think which is the Chinese symbols, but that's a weird tangent. Sorry about that. I just, I know a little bit about a lot of things and it's hard for me not to share. So my point is I've got all these disparate things. They all exist in, in their own universes and even among the franchises themselves, it's weird how they all are facing a threat from 10,000 years ago that was sealed away and then one day it was awakened and only this hero. So even among themselves, there's a lot of internal inconsistency and they do crossovers and it's just kind of, you have to forget. You kind of have to forget and you kind of have to throw logic out a little bit when you're enjoying these shows because it's about the feeling, it's about the point uh, or the message of the show or story. It's about, you know, watching the hero overcome. It's about those things more than it's about... um, <laughs> being logically consistent, but it's also 
partly that way because over the years, Subaraya, Toho, Toei have allowed many different people to be the creative forces uh, behind the various seasons of the shows or you know installations of the different movies because um, I don't know I don't know if there's like I, I feel like there's around 30 Godzilla movies but I could be wrong and that's just coming out of Japan just despite uh, sorry beside or aside from how did you say it doesn't matter <laughs> aside from the uh, late 90s Godzilla and then the 2010s uh, Godzilla movies that we had uh, and then I don't know if like the is it Raymond Burr I don't know if the Raymond Burr dub sort of thing from 1954 and 1955 counts as an American adaptation of it or not, but whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, and the same thing, Super Sentai, uh, Ishinomori was, uh, well, Ishinomori died in around the year 2000, I believe, or maybe it was 99, and it's been 22 years since then, and they've kept making, uh, <laughs> they've kept making Super Sentai without him, and the same thing with Kamen Rider, they've kept making it, it was actually on hiatus for a long time, and it came back, I think, a year, maybe it was two to three years after his death, actually. He might have died in 97. It doesn't matter uh, at this point. Um, it's not relevant to this discussion is what I mean. Um, but anyway, uh, these things have lived beyond their original creators. And their original creators, you know, while they did good work and may have cared about them in certain ways, uh, they didn't always necessarily make things to be ironclad uh, and have, like, super clear logic. So one thing that I want to do, and I'm actually... Uh, this is, I did not expect to say this, I'm a, I've actually been inspired by the Red Panda, which Red Panda is something done by Greg Taylor, G-R-E-G-G -G Taylor, uh, from Dakota Ring Theater, your source for, but never mind. Um, anyway, he's a Canadian writer and like, I don't know, play or like theater dude. I don't know what else he does, sorry. Uh, he's written a bunch of books that I've liked and, and bought and listened to and enjoyed, and he produced a radio show hearkening back to The Shadow, and uh, I guess, uh, uh, what's the other one? Dr. Savage, or Doc Savage, and a bunch of other things like that from the golden era of radio. And uh, he told the story of the Red Panda, which is this uh, mystery man, uh, you know, fedora and domino mask with a trench coat superhero in Canada. The guy's a super genius, so kind of like a Batman, who has no superpowers except for uh, the ability to use hypnosis. But anyway, he did, I think it's about 10 seasons. It's, it's 120 episodes total of, like, the main story that goes in chronological order. Uh, and then he did books as well. And uh, comic books also. And uh, so there's the audio drama, the radio show, the books, and the comic books. And across all of them... None of the book, like there are things that are mentioned in them. It's a transmedia project, I guess you could say. But anyway, over the over the course of the 120 episodes, there's a progression in the Red Panda audio drama. The books take place in between episodes, basically, and the comic books I think take place in between other episodes of the audio drama. Um, the comic books, that is, take place within the audio drama, like in between episodes, <clears throat> and have nothing to do with the novels or the pulp novels that Taylor wrote, uh, but it's all consistent and it's all planned out and it's all mapped out very well. And while the, it's called Red Panda and there's an eponymous Red Panda character who is the hero of the show or the story, he also has the flying squirrel who is his, uh, I guess, I don't know, partner or sidekick or whatever you want to say. I won't go into spoilers because you should really check out Red Panda because it's an amazing superhero story <laughs> that spans decades. Um, I'm very inspired by that and I'm very inspired by that accomplishment and I'm really uh, impressed that this man was able to do this and I want to go above and beyond and I want to be even better and I want to uh, 
take the inspiration from the feat that he accomplished and see, well, how much farther can I go? And I basically, uh, I've had ideas for a lot of different stories over the years, and recently, within the last year to two years, really, it's come to mind that I should just put them all into the same universe. I like the tokusatsu elements. I love Kamen Rider. Oh, I cannot tell you how much I love Kamen Rider. Um, it's weird. Like, it, it, it's almost extreme how much I love Kamen Rider. Um, and I'm like a big Star Wars fan. I like... Uh, I. Kamen Rider is superior to Star Wars, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous uh, if you've seen Kamen Rider at a glance uh, that I could say that, but it's true. Uh, it's absolutely true. It's it's undisputable. Uh, the amount of hours alone of Kamen Rider that's been put out versus Star Wars that's been put out that has been good uh, trumps that. And, and even uh, uh, Taylor has an affection for some of Star Wars to a degree, I believe, because he has little... Uh, Easter eggs in there that sound very much like the references of Star Wars. Like, there's a uh, well, there's just like a, a a group of operators doing something in a later season, and they call themselves, you know, Red One, Red Two, Red Three, Red Four, Red Five, and things like that. So that's really cool. He's from an older generation, so I I would bet that he likes the original trilogy more than the sequels. But I actually love the sequel, or sorry, <clears throat> the original trilogy more than the prequels. And I love the original trilogy. I really like the prequels. Uh, I get well. Let's. I I love and I think. There are better stories overall, or better execution of storytelling being done in the original trilogy. But I get I'm more emotionally attached to the prequel trilogy, and I sometimes <laughs> my daughter is an aspiring author as well, and uh, God bless her. I, I wish her every success. She's actually written a really good children's book or two. Um, I, I feel like one manuscript is lost, but she says it's not. But the other one, it's. Uh, it's either 99% or 90% done or it's 100% done and I think she needs to get it published ASAP but regardless that's an, another thing um, that I'm not going to go into but uh, the actual um, the actual <laughs> I, I totally lost my point sorry thinking about my daughter because she wrote this thing oh uh, I will sometimes help her with writing issues that she's having because she's still understanding the craft of writing and I'm not a master by any means but I am working at it and I will use Star Wars as an example and when I talk about uh, the original trilogy I can uh, pull certain examples and I can just think about it because I've seen those movies lots of times and uh, it's just it's like oh this is the fact this is what Luke, Han and Leia are like these are the dynamics between them and this is how they represent different things and uh, if the theme of Star Wars is you know selfish, selflessness versus selfishness like George Lucas says it is, uh, then you can look at them and you can say, oh, uh, Leia is a paragon of selflessness, and both Luke and Han move through an arc of selfishness to selflessness through the movie, and you can see it in these places, you can see this is where Han is being selfish, this is where Luke is being selfish or self-motivated, not really thinking about others, but thinking about himself, and then uh, these events happen in the story and the narrative, the universe punishes him and causes him to have nothing left over, and then ultimately he has his life, but he gives that up for the sake of the rebellion, but also giving up his life allows him to tap into the force because he's doing the ultimate act of selflessness, which allows him to save the day. Han has a, a, a more minor arc moving into selflessness, but it's integral to Luke's arc because if Han wasn't didn't come back because he moved from a position of selfishness to selflessness, he wouldn't have been able to save Luke from Vader, and then Luke wouldn't have been able to make that shot and save everybody, and then the story would be over, or whatever. Uh, I told her all that, and it took me a lot longer. I, I truncated down my thoughts, and I went on a bunch of tangents like I do when I talk about story stuff. Um, but I, I was able to do that without getting emotional. Like, I'm, I can feel a little bit of like, oh, like, like, that's really cool, and it's exciting, and it's kind of inspirational. But <clears throat> when I talk to her about, like, the failed arc of Anakin, the failed hero's journey that Anakin has, I get emotional. I get misty. I get choked up. I start to cry a little bit because 
I feel so deeply for Anakin as a person. And I don't know if it was watching Clone Wars. I don't know if it was just, uh, just you know, the sequel or the prequel trilogy itself or what. Um, but uh, I've always felt a strong attachment to Anakin and felt very sympathetic towards him. And maybe it was because I was, I was like 11 when I watched the movie, The Phantom Menace. So he's, he was nine. So maybe some of that helped me relate to him. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. Anakin loves Qui-Gon Jinn. I, I, I don't really know what it is, but I get emotional talking about that. Um, and again, I, I, I'm trying to recover and get back to my original, original point. Uh, I think I was going to get to the point that as much as I, oh, there we go. I, I value Star Wars emotionally. Like I value it as a story and I value it as something that emotionally touches me. Uh, I still think Common Raider is better. <laughs> and I think with the hours and hours and hours of content of Common Raider, a TV show that's been on off and on the air for a long time, um, versus Star Wars alone, like it's just Common Raider is a better thing. It's better done, even though it's different stories told by different authors at different times. And it's like, they're sort of different universes, but they're not. When they need to be in the same universe or a crossover, they do it and they just hand wave things away. And I don't like that. And um, so, like, it's interesting. Common uh, Rider, like, I love it more. I have more affection for it. It's it's better. It's, like, more consistently entertaining storytelling. And there's more there's more of a bulk of entertaining stories. But they're kind of, like, throwaway. Whereas Star Wars is more consistent with the one author. We don't talk about the, the sequel trilogy here. Um, the one author of the six-film saga plus the Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, or not Rebels. Well, maybe Rebels. Uh, Rebels is a wobbler. But definitely Clone Wars. You can throw that in there. And it all works as one cohesive unit. Um, but like, it's not as good overall, even though there was the one sort of vision behind it. Greg Taylor's Red Panda has a much better cohesive universe that ties together better. And I do really, really, really like Red Panda. Like I've, I've, uh, enjoyed listening to it at least three times, if not, uh, four times total. And that's 120 episodes at like 20 minutes of pop. Um, that's a lot of time I've spent, um, yeah, I'm doing it while I'm doing other things, but still, uh, that's a lot of time to spend with these stories and these characters and this one voice of this one author. And there are little things, little quirks that Taylor has that show up in Red Panda and show up in Blackjack Justice and show up in other things that he he um, he writes and uh, produces, um, such as uh, "That's Tough but Fair" or uh, "That's an Interesting Point." Uh, but anyway, little little quirks or, or things that the characters say over and over again that kind of stick out as like, oh, that's a signature of Taylor, you know? Um, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's just a thing. But like, I want to go beyond that. I want to write a consistent universe with many characters where it all is logically consistent and where it all works together. And for some reason, at least some of the children's picture books that I have planned, like this Growbug series that I want to be inspired by Tokusatsu, uh, which is like the Godzilla, Ultraman, Super Sentai, Kamen Rider, Power Rangers, that kind of stuff. Uh, I want it to be logically consistent, and I want those angelic uh, bug characters, the grow bugs, to be from the same benevolent divine force that is empowering the superheroes of the world and of the universe of the, uh, let's just call it Holy Heroes, that's what I'm calling it for now, uh, that's the, the code or production name. Anyway, I want them to all be from the same universe, and I want to figure out how to make that all work. So the first thing I need to do is figure out how to unite the entire uh, I guess I just gave you my raison d'etre for my all my writing projects that are going to go forward in this Holy Heroes universe. Uh, but wh whatever. I, that was unintended, but it happened. Uh, I guess you're getting me out of the way. I, I should probably produce an episode zero and release that before I release this episode, just to give you a little bit of background and warn you about how crazy this uh, first episode is going to be. Anyway, I, I just do things as I figure them out. Or I just figure things out as I'm going along. So, uh, yeah. 
this is me. Anyway, first of all, I need to figure out a way to put Godzilla, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, Ultraman all in one universe together. Interestingly enough, uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a while, and Hideaki Anno, who's a producer of uh, Neon Genesis, or writer-director of, or, and major creative force behind Neon Genesis Evangelion, as well as some other things you might recognize, like the Shin Godzilla movie, the Shin Ultraman movie, and coming up the Shin Kamen Rider movie. Uh, <laughs> um, he's doing something over there, and I'm trying to capture that spirit and do something similar with these characters, even though I'm starting from ground zero. I'm building the universe as I go along. Uh, versus having to do it after the fact, like all like a Smash Brothers or like just like a, a, a team up crossover type thing. I, I want it all to be one consistent universe, but you know that already. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make that happen. Well, first of all, I have to think about or what the plan is. Is I've thought a lot about the uh, the heart and spirit of these different franchises: Godzilla, Ultraman, Kamen Rider, Super Sentai, and one other that I'm keeping a secret for later. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what they are and what like the core theme is to at least start my first set of characters who are related to those things onto those. And yes, I am doing this for children's picture books, and yes, you could accuse me of overthinking things, but I think if the themes are solid from the... If the themes... If these franchises exist, it only exists because people keep buying them. I think people only keep buying them because at the core of it, at least the original ones during the 60s, 70s during the 60s and 70s, let's call it, or 50s, 60s, 70s, were successful because something at the theme, at the core of it, at the heart of it, was pure and beautiful and meaningful to people. And then they happened to attach, like, you know, rubber suit monster wrestling, battle royale, uh, cage match type stuff on top of it. And that just made it, it gave it a cool factor. They, they threw out certain things. They, they might have thrown out the theme and kept the rule of cool going, but it basically made it palatable to people. And I want this to be mass market palatable and have a message inside of it. And I think you leaning on these things that are so good at selling and selling and selling toys and merchandise and whatever uh, is a good way to do it because I want to tell meaningful stories and I also want people to care about them on multiple levels. And if they just care about it because it looks cool or it's really, it's got a neat gimmick to it, that's okay too. Because I figure if they like it enough, they'll stick around with it long enough that they'll get a great meaning out of it. And and I'm okay with that. I, I don't... Well, anyway, yeah, I'm okay with that. So, um, I, I'm a capitalist and I want to be an effective marketer. So, or an effective messenger and marketer. And in order to do that, I think you got to sell. You got to sell the, the, the message. You got to sell the message within the package uh, for people to get it. Because if you don't sell it to them, then they can't get it. And if they don't get it, then what's the point of saying the message? You may as well just keep silent and say it to yourself, which is not what I want to do. Anyway, uh... Yeah, so I need to figure out a way to make this all consistent. I think it's enough for now to basically have God giving people superpowers in this world, but also, and having those people be agents of change and agents of good, uh, basically like angels themselves, uh, who are serving God and, and, and causing things to be done uh, in such a way to rescue people and to see that, that things are done rightly, right? Uh, but also to have these guardian angel figures um, and, like, I'm a believer. Uh, I, I study the Bible every day, pretty much, and uh, that's very much what my life is about. Um, so, this is the milieu, that's that's where I'm coming from. It's like, it's superheroes and monsters uh, and toku and, and the Bible. Like, that's, that's all me, <laughs> pretty much, uh, wrapped up into one package. So, like, that's what I'm presenting, that's what I'm offering to the world in this universe that I'm building and in this, you know, these, you know, book series that I'm, I'm writing and planning. Uh, and I think it's, it's easy to justify, uh, these guardian angel bugs and 
Uh, basically, it's just they're, you know, a, a firmer or harder manifestation of angels in the modern world. And why aren't they full on angels? Why are they little bugs and said that are cute? I don't know. Because. Because it'll work. Because I got to sell it. Because I want these messages to reach kids. And uh, they're not like strictly biblical messages. I'm not indoctrinating you through my, you know, religious, you know, zealotry or whatever. It's like the theme of Godzilla is if you fear and hate what you don't understand and you seek to destroy it instead of understand it so you can live with it and figure out a mutually beneficial arrangement between the two of you, you will sow the seeds of your own destruction and increase pain and suffering on the world. And if you've done that one time, you're likely to do that again and again and again until you've destroyed all of humanity. That's the theme. That's the message of Godzilla. And that message I want to pack inside of a children's book. And I see no issue with that. I think it's a beautiful theme. I think it's very powerful. And uh, having children who throw tantrums and get angry and who, uh, you know, love rocks and animals and sticks and hate their siblings and their parents uh, because they slightly offended them is like the perfect vehicle for showing that. Um, <laughs> at least that's what I think. So anyway, the, the idea is like, I might have kaiju, which are the giant monsters like Godzilla. I might not. And that, that's something I'll work towards. I don't like the idea of in Godzilla, he's this giant, he's 40 stories or 30 stories. He's 300 feet. Three, 30, you know, that's too huge. Um, I might do like, you know, 50 foot animals or 30 foot animals like, you know, Godzilla, you know, mini kaiju. I might do that sort of thing. Um, but like, I'm sort of going to be rectifying a lot of issues that I have. Like, oh, uh, you know, the downtown gets destroyed in every episode of Power Rangers or, you know, Super Sentai constantly having monsters, you know, blowing up half the world or whatever. It, it doesn't get that severe, but it's close. Uh, Kamen Rider, I think Kamen Rider is a, a much better job of like containing the destruction uh, of the evil organizations or the, you know, villain race or the monsters or whatever happen to be the problem that a particular Kamen Rider is addressing. Like, it's pretty tidy. Um, but like Godzilla and the other kaiju movies, like they just don't make sense. It's it's a planetary scale of destruction almost every single time, if not like a city. Oh, and Ultraman too. They're, they're knocking down buildings. They're destroying things. It doesn't really make sense. Um, so I don't need to keep those elements. Like I was saying earlier in what I've learned, um, and this was a conclusion I'd come to before because I'm just not comfortable pushing the universe in that direction, is like I'm going to take the core message of, messages of these things. I'm going to shrink the size and scale of the monsters. And I'm going to make more of the stakes personal for people and uh like i'm gonna edge into this world with these children's picture books that deal with little with issues that little kids will have to deal with and do deal with and uh like i don't know present that in that way and um i even have ideas for uh you know with these grow bugs so they're they're insects of some sort right well i also have this idea for either other planets or other dimensions within my universe that will have different bugs in them and i have these i have a, i also created something called dread bugs and dread bugs attach themselves to people and have a parasitic nature and etc cetera, etc cetera, and very much a la common writer um i have a, a pair of characters chirp and duster she's uh Chirp is based off of a cricket, <clears throat> kind of like a grasshopper, which is what Common Rider is. And Duster is based off of Moth, which there's a Moth Common Rider who I have a lot of affection for. Um, and I really like moths. And uh, he's a tiger moth. She's a whatever kind of cricket. Um, they have adventures, but each of them has is like bonded with a dread bug. And 
the dread bug enables them to tap into this greater power source. And they're able to transform into these you know, costumed uh, suits or forms or alternate bodies or whatever it is. I don't, I haven't really worked that out. And they're able to fight off the other dread bugs, which is very much like common writer. Uh, I just had a brilliant idea as I was working on these, on these you know, grow bug books that the grow bugs and the dread bugs can either be related to each other or the existence of one justifies and like anchors the existence of the other. And it made me think, Oh, maybe two of the kids from my books should grow up to become chirp and duster. That could be really interesting because I have a mix of boys and girls in there. And I think that could be fascinating. And that's like a transmedia thing where I can, uh, and then another thing is, uh, I, while writing a draft for one of the other, um, grow bug books, uh, grow bug book three, um, I shared it with my wife and she said, is this for a children's picture book? And I said, yeah, it is. But I've always had this idea of what if you had a board book or a, a small children's picture book and it told a story, but you could have a chapter book, a middle grade chapter book, or you could have something bigger beyond that that expands on that. The The children's picture book isn't contained. All of that story is contained in it, but it's expanded upon. There are more details. You can go into more depth. And it actually linked to another character that I created, uh, I think two years ago. Um, maybe it was three years ago by now. Um, who I want to be part of my universe. So it's like this ever expanding universe, but I want to figure out a way to manage it all. And I think by putting it all under, uh, well, anyway, I, am putting the building blocks together in a, a kind of loose way. Uh, another thing that Inoue taught me is like, if you don't declare what your rules are and you just play fast and loose with them, you can keep them in the back of your mind or have them written down so you don't violate them ultimately. But if you keep your rules as vague as possible, you can do a lot of things and the audience will go with it because it'll feel right and natural to the story because you're not blatantly overruling, overwriting, or, or overturning any continuity continuity that you've established. So anyway, I'm exhausted. Uh, I'm home. I am going to go enjoy the weekend with my family. Uh, thank God I've made it another week, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and get this published and uh, released pretty soon. So uh, I'm going to stop there. Um, these are This is intended to be a much smaller show, much less in-depth, but uh, I guess I just had to put all that out there. So I plan on having next week's be... Uh, very truncated. Uh, hopefully, well, I'm not going to put a time on it, but hopefully I'll, it'll all I'll be a lot more succinct in everything I have to say because I'm very much introducing you to all of the stuff that I'm interested to as a creative person. So anyway, um, this is MJ. I leave you with peace and blessings. I ask that you check out uh, the next ones. Come back for the next one and go to mjmoonews.com to see all my work as it develops. And uh, yeah, that's it. If I didn't say it already, I'm going to say it now. I leave you with peace and blessings. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, you can find more at mjmunoz.com, as well as my entire library of analysis, art, and fiction.